Welcome back to the Volunteer State. Happy New Year. Happy Orange Bowl title for the Tennessee Vols as they handled Clemson uh, last week and uh, looked pretty good doing it. Joe Milton has taken up the baton and overthrow Joe has become the Joe show. Tennessee will will head into 2023 with Joe Milton as as the odds on favorite to be their starter. Their defense got it done for him against Clemson. Guys, it's hard to imagine that bowl performance going any better than what it did for Tennessee as they look to put an exclamation point on the season that was, but also to turn the page into kind of a a, a transferring era here with with Hendon Hooker and some of that offensive firepower headed to the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was telling that Tennessee did not play a great offensive game and still won that that game by 17 points. I mean, you know, new quarterback, couple new receivers, uh, different linebacking core, or at least different because Jeremy Banks wasn't there, and they and they punted six times, which was a season high. They had a number of three and outs. Uh, offense went through some long lulls um, and still put up 31 points and and ended up running away with the game. If, you know, Hinden Hooker and Jalen Hyatt play that game, uh, you know, Tennessee wins that by 30, uh, which is kind of a disappointment on Clemson's part, but also uh, for our side of it is, uh, I think it's a pretty optimistic look for where Tennessee could go because, and I know we'll talk about this with Joe Milton and the offense and all that, but there were a number of things that you could see will be tweaked in the offense next season, knowing that Joe Milton or whoever is your guy. There was st- it was still sort of a Hendon Hooker's offense that they had adjusted a little bit for Joe Milton. With a full offseason, let's say Milton is the guy, uh, there are some things I think that showed themselves that will make it even more comfortable and more efficient uh, under a Joe Milton. Yeah, I really went into that game thinking I didn't have high expectations for Joe Milton. I didn't think he would play as well as he did. And so to me, that was an extremely encouraging game for Tennessee. Um, just the way he threw the ball, mistake-free pretty much. I don't think he had a turnover. Uh, and I just I just wasn't expecting to see that level of performance from him. And you go into next season now with Tennessee's pretty well set at a quarterback. Uh, you know, we don't know who it'll be. It could be end up being Nico, and we don't know about Tavian Jackson, a four-star recruit who's been hurt this year. But it's when you look at in the era of the transfers and NIL, and you look and you got three guys that you think can play, you're probably better off than most teams. It was interesting after the game, uh, Tennessee had open locker room. That's kind of the the bull policy, especially now that we've pivoted away from the COVID era. So you get access to to guys and coaches you don't necessarily get access to on a regular basis after games. Um, And I chatted with Joey Halsley, the quarterback's coach, for about five or ten minutes in the locker room afterwards and, and was asking him about the quarterback situation for next season. And I asked, you know, would there be interest in adding a transfer um, not saying that Milton couldn't be the starter, but interest in adding a transfer just to add competition, you know, add, add another body, give you another option. And he shot that down repeatedly. Um, now, Halsley doesn't necessarily speak for, for everyone, but I think he's, he's not going rogue there. He knows Josh Heupel's thinking on the matter. They, they're the two guys that work with quarterbacks most closely. 
And I pushed back a little bit. I played devil's advocate. And I said, you know, why not add another guy to this competition? And basically said, why would we? Um, I asked him if he likes what he got, what, what he's got. He said, I love what we've got. Um, and so that was a pretty big endorsement, I thought, for, for, for Joe, not only Joe Milton, um, but Nico coming in. John, you mentioned Taven Jackson. And of course, there can be some additional motives to this. You don't want the guys you have in your program thinking that you're going to go out portal plundering and, you, and, and then you scare your own guys into the portal. You don't want that. You want to retain the guys you have. Um, and yet I found it believable. And, and I found it even more believable based on what we saw from Milton in the Orange Bowl. He got it done in the fourth quarter, especially. Was he Hinden Hooker? No. But he had one of the best performances we've ever seen from him. He kept Tennessee out of mistakes. He hit some deep shots and he looked good doing it. So I, I buy this idea that Tennessee may feel good about its quarterback situation going in the spring and not necessarily feel a need to add a transfer. Yeah, I mean, there should be an asterisk on, on this of that they're not going to add a quarterback in the transfer portal in this January period. Um, now, the, there'll be two weeks in May, May 1st through May 15th, when the portal will open again. Players can, re, can enter it at that point. If Taven Jackson were to leave after spring practice, they absolutely would add one in the portal simply because then they would have two scholarship quarterbacks left. And it's risky enough to have three. They had three this year, nearly ran out of quarterbacks. It's it's suicide to only have two. Um, so yeah, he's saying that now, Joey Halsley is, and I'm sure he's repeating what he's discussed with Josh Hopple. Um, you know, in the background is that they're not going to add one now. And there's a few reasons for that. It, you kind of touched on some of them there, Blake. If if you add one to uh, the portal now, you're sort of pushing Taven Jackson toward the portal. You, you don't want to do that. If, if, you, if you think he's got promise as a, maybe your starter or certainly a very capable backup one day, then you don't want him going to the portal. You want to keep him and develop him. So you don't want to, you don't want to push him by adding another guy. Um, you know, there's also the, you know, there, there's only so many reps to go around, and Joe Milton needs a lot of reps to become the starter. I referenced a minute ago about how the offense is going to look a little different. A b- big part of what they did with Hendon Hooker year one to year two was that they spent the entire offseason figuring out what accentuates his, his skill set and to figure out what accentuates the skill set of the other players around him. And the Joe Milton offense will look a little different It'll look different from the Hendon Hooker offense. It'll look different from this Orange Bowl offense. And so they need reps to to, to figure that out. Um, Nico Yamaliava also needs reps to figure out how quickly he could be ready. He's he's you know he may contend. We don't know. Um, I think Milton's a front runner, but you want to give as many reps as you can to your five star. And Taven Jackson, because he was hurt for about half the season, he needs reps. So if you bring a fourth guy in. You're you're taking away from those other guys. You can, if you want a depth guy, that you can figure that out after the spring. Um, if you need a guy to fill Taven Jackson's spot, if he were to get into the portal, you need that. And they're going to have to walk sort of a tightrope in the spring between Nico and Taven because you you don't want to you don't want to give away that Nico catches up or passes Taven Jackson because that would sort of signal that Taven Jackson may consider the portal you want you want him to think that he's still ahead that he's got a chance to be the starter after milton and he may be we don't know um so they're they're going to probably be pretty delicate with the depth chart they may say milton is their starter but beyond that i think they'll maybe be uh, a little more vague 
it's so hard to read these kind of things because when the coaches are talking, you don't know if they're trying to give any insight into the competition or if they're just trying to keep everybody around. They're walking a tightrope and they don't want to offend anybody. I remember when Peyton Manning was a freshman here in 1994 and they had another star freshman signee, Brandon Stewart, at quarterback. And it ended up with Peyton being the starter because of injuries to Jerry Colquitt and Todd Helton. But when then-coach Philip Fulmer would discuss the two freshman quarterbacks, he alternately mentioned one first, and the next time he would mention that one second. It was very tedious and required a lot lot of thought, I guess. It was over the top, but he was being so careful because at that juncture – I mean, we all know Peyton Manning now is a Hall of Fame quarterback, but at that juncture, Brandon Stewart was really good too. And some fans thought he would be the quarterback because he could really run and was very athletic. But Philip Philip Fulmer was really cautious about that. And so these coaches now, they just have to be so, so careful about how they discuss competition. Yeah, I, I was one of those, John. I was, uh, I think, a freshman in high school when Peyton and Brandon Stewart came in. Stewart, I think, ended up at A&M after that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember seeing the first two or three games of those two guys. I think I even said the sentence to my to my mom watching the game of, this Manning guy is living off his last name. If it wasn't for his last name, Brandon Stewart would be the guy because he's the better of the two, obviously. <laughs> so, well, and and you were a quarterback, so you you knew the game. Yeah, yeah I, I knew which one would throw more, uh, more picks and more incompletions, so I was choosing Brandon Stewart. <laughs> Guys, as I was watching the the Orange Bowl, um, you know, obviously, like I said, it, it it was the way Tennessee would have drawn up the ending to its season. Um, you know, in so much as they missed the playoff, they didn't want that. But after that happened, you know, they dominated Vanderbilt. They beat a name program um, in, in Clemson, you know, in a big name bowl game. You know, we can say bowl games don't matter anymore, but I think the Tennessee fans winning that Orange Bowl mattered. It was it was a perfect night for Tennessee, no doubt about it. Yet going forward, what does it make you think about what Tennessee might be capable of next season. Because, you know, it was hard to watch that that Orange Bowl and think, you know what, I, I, I think they could keep this going. Or it was hard not to think that, I should say. I mean, that's what I was thinking um, as they were handling Clemson. Now, that comes with a caveat, of course. Clemson had freshman quarterback Cade Klubnick, who was making his first career start. Clemson's offense struggled for most of the season. So I don't think that Tennessee has magically solved all of its defense. And in fact, throughout the first half, especially uh, anytime Klubnik threw it down the field, it seemed like there was just as likely of a chance that uh, Tennessee would get flagged for pass interference um, as anything else. So, you know, not everything's perfect. And yet I came away from that game thinking, okay, maybe Tennessee doesn't go 11 and two next season on the heels of losing Hendon hooker. But I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to see that and not think, I, I think this thing's in, in good shape for, for next year. They can, they can continue to be uh, one of the top programs in the SEC. Yeah. I mean, any strong program, sort of the key to that is you have to, you have to maximize your peaks. You have to minimize your valleys. Um, and they're probably about to go into a relative valley now. Cause I, I don't, 
I don't think they're at any point next year number one in the country. Um, I don't think they're a playoff team next year. Could be could be proven wrong. If that's fine, um, but you know, there's sort of three scenarios, three categories. I think I'd put them in next year because they're beyond the point of being like a they that they could have a losing season next year. I just don't see that happening. Not with this offensive system. Not with some of the talent that they have. They're going to be okay next year, which is six and six, seven and five, something what they were in 2021. Or they're going to be good next year, which is you know, sort of that eight and four, you know, uh, the rely quest bowl used to be the outback, that sort of thing. Maybe the citrus bowl, that sort of thing, eight and four, nine and three, or they're going to be great, which is 10 wins or more. That's what they were this year. That was, that's new year six contend for the sec contend for the CFP. They're going to be okay. They're going to be good. Or they're going to be great. Uh, I think reasonably speaking, I think they'll probably be good. If you look at the schedule, it's very manageable. If they if they beat Virginia in uh, in Nashville, uh, they should go four and zero in uh, in non conference. Their crossover games are Alabama and Texas A and M. They can beat A and M. Uh, this is a good time to get A and M. They got South Carolina at home. They got to go to the swamp, but Florida is still in somewhat rebuilding mode. I mean, you could see them going eight and four, nine and three, or contend even more than that. I mean, they would they would need to beat Florida next year at Florida and win at home against South Carolina in sort of a revenge game. If you do that, you're five and zero oh going into a bye week, and we would then see there sort of this fan base reach a a sort of a level of frenzy like they were at the middle of this season. Um, so I, they're going to be somewhere between good and great. It, it depends on how well they can uh, improve on defense, especially in the secondary. If they can, if they can get a pass rush to fill the role that Byron Young and some others had this year, I think there's a pretty pretty decent chance of that. If Joe Milton can be anywhere close as mistake free as Hendon Hooker was, Joe threw ten touchdown passes this year, no picks. There's a chance of that. Um, and this off, if this offense can stay at an elite level, and from what I saw in the Clemson game, I think there's a chance of that plugging in new players. Um, so, I mean, it, this is going to test uh, the fan base really on where their expectations uh, are, are at. Because you know, since Philip Fulmer's, uh, since Philip Fulmer was coach, the fan base has sort of gone through this somewhat before, where things look pretty good, look like they're turning the corner. And then the expectation is it's only going to get even better next year and the next year. But it hasn't it hasn't been to this point yet. Even when Butch Jones is winning nine games, you did not think there was anything much higher than that. Um, you know, this seems more sustainable because there's a system in place, uh, that offensive system. This seems more sustainable, but the fans think they're going to go 10 and 2 next year or could they be satisfied with that valley of eight and four thinking that it would then ramp up to 10 and two again the next year? It's, it's going to test how fans expectations are and they'll be pretty high next year, but they probably should be. Yeah. I think it really, when you come down to it, it's all about that offensive system. It's just very, very efficient. And Josh Heupel has far surpassed most of the coaches Tennessee has had in recent years. So I think, yeah, I think 10 and 2 again would not be far fetched at all. You look at Alabama and Georgia, those are the games you would expect Tennessee to be an underdog in. I don't think it'll be an underdog in the swamp because Florida doesn't have a quarterback. 
if uh, your idea of a quarterback is transfer Graham Mertz, you you got you got issues. Um, so, uh, and, and you went over the schedule. I just think also that I think the defense is going to be better. Uh, I think these young young players Tennessee's bringing in. The, I think the linebacker from BYU will help. Uh, I, so I th- I think the the future the immediate future looks uh, really bright for Tennessee. Yeah, you threw out ten and two, John. And uh, as I was looking through the schedule and listening to Adam, you know, run through it there earlier, I, I think that's reasonable. You know, I know that might feel like the upper end of of the ceiling. Um, but this is such a manageable schedule next year. Yes, they have to go to the swamp, but you know, as you put it, John, if if they're playing Graham Mertz at Florida, um, <laughs> they, they got a they got a highly you know highly touted freshman coming in. But you know that'll be week three of the season. It's not like you have to face that freshman in November. You get if it's him, you know, you get to face him in week three. If it's Mertz, I like Tennessee's <laughs> chances. You know, they got they got UT San Antonio. Um, they got Austin P. They got Virginia. They got UConn. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think 10 and two is, is within conversation. At least you get Texas A&M, but they're coming to Neyland stadium. Nothing we saw out of Texas A&M this season suggests that, um, you know, Tennessee can't and shouldn't beat them. I, I, I really think that, you know, if Joe Milton can keep his level of play like it was for most of that game, uh, in Miami, I think 10 and two is within reason, especially if the defense has a pulse, you know, that's, that's where Tennessee got in trouble at times this year. You know, we, we think about South Carolina, um, those types of games, I think are going to happen from time to time for Tennessee. And so while you look at it on paper and say, yeah, I think they could be favored. You know, if we were to set betting lines now, I think they could be favored in 10 out of 12 games next season. There's always the threat. I think with with the way this program's constructed right now, that your defense is going to lay an egg sometime, and you're you're going to get uh, pasted by the likes of a South Carolina on the road. I think that's that's plausible, and so probably nine and three is is the safer prediction. Prediction. Yeah, and I don't think we can overemphasize that schedule because you know you're trading out Pitt, which at the time was the defending ACC champion and a top twenty five team for Virginia that Tennessee should. They should win that game running away, especially it being in Nashville. You're trading out a game at Tiger Stadium against a team that ended up winning the SEC West in LSU for a struggling A&M team. And so, you know, this year's team went 10-2 and in the regular season, should have been 11-1. and um, This team had a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback and the Bolitnikoff winner and um, – you know, next year's team could not have anybody even in the conversation of the Bolitnikoff, could not have anybody in the conversation of SEC Player of the Year or Heisman or any of that, and still have the same record in the regular season because of that schedule. Um, so not not all 10 and 2s are built alike, but that schedule allows for a lot of that. And, uh, you know, the, the defense will be key because they're going to get back I think it's in terms of total snaps played, it's like 20 of the top 25, 21 of the top 25, something like that. Um, you know, it, I think you can you can uh, get past losing Jeremy Banks uh, because the BYU uh, linebacker coming in, I think the younger linebackers are good. You've got to shore up the secondary somehow, and that's going to be difficult. But I do like their young pass rushers. You're, you're really just taking their – 
if you're looking at Tennessee's top five or six players that they're losing, um, it's just they're going to get a more an inexperienced version of that player. And so that's why it could look slightly rebuilding, even if the record could be similar. You're trading out Hooker for for Milton. Milton may be really good, but he's he's not hitting Hooker, at least not right now. You're trading at Jalen Hyatt for Squirrel Watt. Well, Squirrel Watt could put up some pretty good pretty good numbers. We saw that in the bowl game, but it's going to take a little bit to play at the level of of uh, of Jalen Hyatt. You, you, Joshua Josephs looks like he could be a really good pass rusher. So does James Pierce, both freshmen. But they may look like Byron Young of a year ago and not this year. And so you, you sort of make those trade outs, and it looks like a team that has – people that are probably a players that are probably a year away from their peak uh, or, or a year away from being what this team was. But with that schedule, you can, you can have lesser options there and, and still have a, have a great record. Yeah. And I think uh, the way the schedule sets up some of those younger players, they could have a chance to win, to win starting jobs uh, next season on defense. I was uh and the defense wasn't as bad as I, I thought it was. I, I think the South Carolina game, because it happened late, it just was such had such a massive impact on how I viewed this defense. You go back with what was it, three quarterbacks throwing for over four hundred yards against against the defense. Well, uh that's not good. And then South Carolina scoring at will and scoring sixty three points. But I was looking at the national rankings and and Tennessee was 35th in points points allowed uh, that surprised me I didn't think it would was that good now it gave up I think it was maybe 93rd or something in in yards allowed and we saw that in the Clemson game where Tennessee was giving up a lot of yards but Clemson couldn't score and that's kind of the model now for defenses if uh yeah everybody's going to be moving the ball but if you can Keep them from uh, scoring and hold them to field goals. You can win a game, and uh, I think that's where we are at, at with Tennessee. And I think it'll just have better overall athletes on that defense next year. And so I look for the defense to be better. Yeah, I do think the defense. The criticism of the defense has to be narrow, not broad. Um, it, I, I think at times it, it was broad, even with us, and also with fans about you know just people saying, "Well, the defense sucks. They've got to." They've, they've got to fire Tim Banks or, 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 or whatever. But the defense was number two in the SEC in run defense. Georgia was the only one better in rush defense in the SEC than Tennessee. Tennessee was number two in tackles for loss. Um, you already mentioned points allowed. They were pretty good. Last year, they were terrible in red zone defense and third down defense. They both were pretty good in both categories this year, which tells you if they focus on a place where they're bad, they can get better. Um, it really just comes down to their pass defense was terrible. Their front seven was good. And so you've got to, you've got to keep the front seven to, despite losing some key pieces. You got to keep the front seven at that level or close to it. And you got to shore up the secondary, but it's, it's really just, it's narrow. The pass defense is bad. The defense was not bad. Yeah. The pass defense at times was terrible. It ranked 127th out of 100. 31 FBS program. So it was, you know, two extremes. The The rush defense was was solid and the pass defense was not. Um, and I think we saw that in the Orange Bowl. And I do think, you know, with a more polished, a more veteran quarterback, this game could have had a very different outcome. I mean, Cade Klubnik 
Uh, I don't know that he was put in great position to succeed. I don't think Dabo Sweeney did a very good coaching job. Um, the situation at the end of the first half was just an absolute mess. Uh, Clemson missed three field goals in the first half. I, I think a, a more polished quarterback very well lights up Tennessee's pass coverage. Um, now, Tennessee got great pressure. You know, they, they deserve credit. They rattled uh, Cade Klubnick as well. He was jittery back there. He, he, he got forced into some bad decisions, made some bad reads. Um, but I do think, you know, we can, we can overreact to this and say, Hey, you know, everything's fine. Well, I don't know that it is, but for one night, um, Tennessee got enough out of its, out of its defense to uh, fluster a freshman quarterback making his first career start. You know, guys, as we talk about the offense, I, I was blown away by the wide receivers. I thought squirrel white looked really good. Um, you know, Ramel Keaton, Brew McCoy, it looked like a solid nucleus in the receiving core. What about the offensive line, though? Because, you know, when we think about guys who are going to be gone off this team next year, you know, some of those guys weren't out there in the bowl game. No Hendon Hooker, uh, no Jalen Hyatt, no Cedric Tillman, no Jeremy Banks, no Trayvon Flowers. However, they did have the benefit of having Jerome Carvin um, out there um, and Darnell Wright as well. Their two best offensive linemen are are out the door now. Um, How much does that affect Tennessee or, or do you think in this system with Glenn Ellerby as our line coach and the guy's proven, is it, uh, you know, is it kind of plug and play? You can hide deficiencies on the offensive line more in this offense, I think than others because of the tempo, because it, especially if your quarterback's getting the ball out quickly. Um, and if you have a veteran running back like a Jabari small who can do a reasonable job in, in uh, pass protection, um, losing the tight ends, at least one of them, Princeton Fant, maybe Jacob Warren. We don't know yet. That that could be critical in all this. But, I mean, y- you know, they'll be able to absorb, I think, at least one of those offensive line losses, uh, at least Carvin and Darnell Wright. Um, it's it's going to be tough to absorb both of them. Um, they have a – they signed a junior college tackle that I think will probably be more of a developmental depth guy, at least immediately. And then they got a, a transfer from Texas who was an offensive tackle at Texas. Um, he was in a he was in a competition there to start uh, at tackle, uh, lost out to a younger player. So he went to the portal to get a sort of a fresh start. Um, he will we'll see him tr- probably tried out at tackle. And if he works out there, he may be the replacement for Darnell Wright. But uh, I, th- I think there's just as good of a chance that he actually moves inside and maybe he should have been an inside player to begin with. If that's the case and he works at it guard, he can replace Carvin. But I do think that Texas transfer, they're hoping will be a starter at one of those two spots, but then you got to figure out the other. And um, I think Jeremiah Crawford will be back. He was a backup left tackle, a good plug-and-play guy this year for Gerald Mincy. Maybe he can switch over to the right side. Um, you know, there's some options there, but I, I – they're looking in the transfer portal to, to add a few positions and offensive tackle, certainly one of them. If they don't add somebody, then they're just going to need to be creative to, to figure out that problem in, in spring. Well, I go back to Heupel's first season. I didn't think the offensive line would be very good and it proved competent enough. And then this year it again exceeded expectations. So that kind of goes back to the point you guys made about the system. Um, makes it easier on offensive linemen. And Josh Heupel's not changing his system. So based on that and on these two seasons, I think they'll come up with a, with a decent offensive line. 
In closing, guys, um, John, you've covered this program for four centuries. Adam, you grew up around it. Um, fair to say this was the best Tennessee season without question since at least 2001. I mean, it's the best season in more than two decades, right? Oh, yeah. It was um, – I don't, I don't know when Adam started following it. Uh, but uh, from my perspective, yeah, and you could make a case. And in, in 2001, Tennessee was on the cusp of playing for a national championship. Uh, but again, in November, the f- before the first game in November, Tennessee was was number one. So, uh, yeah, th- this is this is really these are good times for Tennessee, and I think they're magnified because Tennessee has been so mediocre at best for so long, and that makes it seem even better. <laughs> I mean, you see. Clemson didn't play well. You talked about it, Blake. Uh, I, I have I don't have a clue what Dabo Sweeney and his staff were thinking. Some of the stuff they did, they actually went into that game as if they. I thought the play calling suggested they felt like they were overmatched and uh, might lose by seventeen points, which they ended up doing. And so they had to make desperate plays, and nothing was more desperate than that fake field goal. So. Yeah, I just uh, – so all of that, I mean, it, it just gave me such a favorable Im- impression of Tennessee. Yeah, I think the difference in this team and the past, what, 20-plus years um, is that you went into each game thinking this team was going to win always. And it, even if you thought they were going to lose, which I thought they would lose at Georgia, but if you told me they're going to win, I'd, I'd believe it. Uh, I actually picked Tennessee because of all their players out to lose uh, this game in the, in the orange bowl. But I thought it was very reasonable that they could win it. it. It's, it's, it's more of a feeling that you think the team that you're looking at is better than every other team or that no team is better than them. Um, you know, I was asked uh, over the weekend about uh, you know now that I've seen this the CFP, how would uh, how would Tennessee match up had they gotten in with with Hinton Hooker and Jalen Hyatt and all those? Um, I think Tennessee would have beat Michigan. I think Tennessee would have had a reasonable chance to beat TCU. I think I think Tennessee would have had a great game against Ohio State. Um, that's the difference in this team and past teams. I think that's probably uh, and that that's what I think two thousand one felt like that you. He felt like if they got into a national championship situation, they would have a coin flip chance of winning that game. And that's that that was the feeling for the first time since 01 that I had for a Tennessee team this year. Uh, I, I think that's probably going to be the difference. Even if next year's team is successful, I think that's probably going to be the difference between this team and next year's team is that next year could have a similar record, but you wouldn't have that confidence going in that – you know, they may beat Alabama. They'll probably beat Alabama. I don't think you're going to have that feeling. You're going to have more of the feeling of if everything goes right, maybe they could be in this game to beat Alabama. That was the difference. If It really comes down, I think, to Hendon Hooker a lot of it. Hendon Hooker in year two, um, you you had that feeling. And, uh, and that, that was the difference. You hadn't had that feeling about the Vols, I think, since 01. And if things go well, you could have probably have that feeling again. Don't know if it'll be next season or not, but it is being built that way. And it really comes down to what we've talked about before, which is offense. Josh Hopple's offense is almost always going to be better 
than the team he's facing. And that was true every game this season except for Georgia's defense. And that's what everybody can say, uh, that they are not as good as Georgia's defense. But that's a pretty good place to be for Tennessee in a place they haven't been in a long, long time. Blake, I also think that in all the years I've covered this program, this is the first time going into a game that I thought Tennessee's head coach and his system gave Tennessee an edge. I go back to the 90s when Tennessee was slugging it out with Florida and Florida usually won. Why? Because it had Steve Spurrier and Tennessee didn't. Uh, and he gave Florida, Florida an edge against most opponents. He was one of those special coaches that just made a difference on game day. And I feel Josh Heupel does that as well. And Tennessee hasn't had that in all the years I've covered them. And so I expect going forward to see the same thing. I think he's, no matter what the personnel looks like or going into a season, that you can't discount the kind of impact Josh Heupel can have in these matchups. True words. All right, guys, we'll leave it there. Head into the offseason. We'll be back with you uh, later this month to take a look ahead as Tennessee you know, wraps up its its recruiting class, approaches spring practice. We'll keep our eye on the quarterback competition as well. But that's it for the 2022 season. Tennessee wins the Orange Bowl, finishes 11-2, and and lots of momentum under Josh Heupel. Thanks for listening to the Volunteer State. Volunteer State.